Today on Cross Defense, we're considering the evils of wokeness specifically for you, the Christian. Did you know that according to the spirit of our age today, you, my friend, are the heretic? Grab your Bible and let's take a look at what wokeness does to Christianity. It's that time, my friends. This week, you've already been in church. You were equipped with the Word of God. You were built up by the sacrament. And now it's time to be further equipped to fight the good fight of faith. It's time to be armed by the cross of Christ with the one, the one who defends us from our old evil adversary, the devil, and who enables us to make a good defense for the hope that is within us, the reason for that hope that is within us. It's time for cross defense. That's right. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. It is a pleasure to spend the next hour with you. Always. It is always a pleasure to be with you here on cross defense. If through today's show, you feel the urge to reach out to me, if you want to drop me a line, communicate with me, you can do that by going to stmarksferndale.com. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, where Christ's dear people have procured a special little section of the internet just for you, just for you to reach out and connect with me. <laughs> it's called a contact form, and it works by that decades-old, I, I know, ancient power known as email. <laughs> it's crazy. Give it a go and tell me what you think about it over at stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, Ferndale. Today on the show, we're going to consider the evils of wokeness. In this woke world that we live in, in the West, you, dear Christian, are, I don't know if you know this, you are the heretic. And the devout adherents of wokeism see you as such, even if you don't realize it. To make no mistake, you, my friend, you, dear saint, one separated from the world by Christ, in the world but not of the world, you cannot be woke and remain a Christian. And I pray that you would never want to be. It's either recant of your heresy, your orthodox biblical Christianity, or be canceled, doxed, threatened, blah, blah, blah. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed the ancient heresy known as adoptionism on the show. And if you recall, before we started, we reviewed the definition of that ancient heresy and the definition of heresy itself. Remember? We discussed how heresies are teachings that are at odds with the established standard of Holy Scripture, the canon the Old and New Testaments of what we call the Holy Bible, God's Word, the long-standing established standard by which Christ's church considers everything, the sole rule and norm of our faith, and the judge of all teachings in the name of Christ. Anything that is taught in the name of Christ is subject to the canon, to our established standard, Holy Scripture. I cited 2 Timothy 3.16, if you recall, to help us all understand how this plays out. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture, that is, our established standard, the canon, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, well, wouldn't you know it, since that episode dropped, St. Mark's received an angry message on our answering machine accusing us of being heretics, and it had nothing to do with that show. We get these kind of messages all the time, because we're not conforming to the woke ideology that seems to have taken over our world, and we're actively, actively resisting that false gospel in service, loving service to our neighbors for the sake of righteousness. Here, have a listen. Hey, just saw your sign about 
um, woke culture and all that stuff. And I just thought it, you know, uh, let you know that your version of Christianity is heresy, hateful creeps. Now, the caller was obviously upset by our church's sign, which invited people who are tired of woke America to rest and resist with us. And we mean it. We wholeheartedly mean it. The burdens of this world are tiresome, aren't they? And what does Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30? If your Bibles are open, turn there now. What does he say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be my disciples, right? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as the Lord has promised, will be the case till the end of the age when we congregate around his word and sacraments, when we gather, are gathered by the Holy Spirit around his means of grace. He is with us. You can go to Matthew 18, 20 to see all about that. So when we gather at church, what do we find, my friend? None other than Jesus, the one who gives us rest for our souls. So we rest in Jesus. And in that rest, we resist. We resist the false gospel of you gotta do and delight in the true gospel that there is nothing left to do because Jesus already done did. We truly rest in the works of Christ and this instantly, immediately, turns us into the resistance. That's what happens at church. In your resting, you receive God's word and sacraments and you learn as Jesus invites us to do from him, the truth. You learn about Jesus Christ and what he did for you and for all believers. And this Holy Spirit worked catechesis equips your minds and excites your imaginations, just as we say on this show, in the truth. It gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. It enables you to know Romans 12 too for yourself. Turn your Bibles there, would you? What did Paul say in Romans 12, 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, how did the first generation of Christians resist the evil of their day, which was, by the way, very similar to our own. Take a look at First and Second Corinthians to understand that more. Well, you can all the New Testament will reveal it. How did they resist it with such effectiveness to spread Christianity from this remote, localized teaching to a global? doctrine, and understanding, a true global religion. Well, Hebrews 10.25 tells us, by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Acts 2.42 as well, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They rested in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that they were saved by the works of Jesus, his keeping of the law. Now, what can we say about our answering machine message without having any further context? Just from the message itself, what can we discern? Well, given that the claim is that our confessional Lutheran church here in Ferndale is heretical, and the caller is reacting to an invitation to rest and resist from woke America, we know that there are people, at least one person in this case, 
who see wokeism as the established standard. Those who teach something at odds with woke doctrine, in their minds, are the heretics. So that we're all on the same page, we don't leave anybody scrambling to figure out what we're talking about, let's answer the question, what is woke? Lots of people self-identify as woke. It includes critical race theory folks and uh, the whole intersectionality, victimization voices. Think of Black Lives Matter activists, gender and queer theory proponents, the LGBTQ, feminists, abortion activists, and your illegal immigration allies, all these sorts of things, environmentalists, all this. All the social justice warriors, however they manifest in our world, who are united as victimized proletariats to rise up against the white, heteronormative, orthodox Christian people who have been cast as their bourgeoisie, other religions as well. That's woke America. Wokeism is a form of Marxism, and it's diametrically opposed to Christianity. Wokeism is the prevailing zeitgeist, and we should see it in the light of Ephesians 6.12, so that we are not confused or ill-prepared to combat it. What does Ephesians 6.12 say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, it is what you and I are contending with, dear listener, for the sake of Christ. It's the wicked opponent against whom we are fighting the good fight of faith, just as Paul encouraged Timothy to keep doing in 2 Timothy 6.12. Now, I want to get to a nine-point breakdown of wokeness in this show today that I think every Christian should be at least acquainted with, aware of. But first, let's take a lesson from Francis Schaeffer. I hope you're familiar with him. He's a great apologist. If you never really thought about the whole of the parts, what we're seeing today, how the evils we're facing are connected with a concerted effort against Christ. Well, Schaefer's words from 1981 will melt your mind. This is what he says 40 years ago. The basic problem of the Christians in this country in the last 80 years or so, and now we need to add 40 more to that to get us to 2022, in regard to society and regard to government is that they have seen things in bits and pieces instead of totals. They have very gradually become disturbed over permissiveness, pornography, the public schools, the breakdown of the family, and finally abortion. But they have not seen this as a totality. Each thing being a part, a symptom of a much larger problem. They, Christians, have failed to see that all of this has come about due to a shift in worldview, that is, through a fundamental change in the overall way people think and view the world and life as a whole. This shift has been away from a worldview that was at least vaguely Christian in people's memory, even if they were not individually Christian, toward a shift toward something completely different, toward a worldview based upon the idea that the final reality is impersonal matter or energy shaped into its present form by impersonal chance. He's speaking of humanism. Materialism, what we now know as wokeism, all these things are interrelated. They're all part of the same whole. These two worldviews, Schaefer says, stand as totals, complete wholes, incomplete antithesis to each other 
in content and also in their natural results, including sociological and governmental results, and specifically including law. Now, this is shedding some light. I hope you're hearing this. This is shedding some light on just why we're so divided in this country in sociological and governmental issues. Things we call politics, but really are not even politics. I mean, the Bible speaks to all of these. These are theological matters. These are worldview matters. You notice our politicians aren't debating so much uh, you know, fiscal reform or, or policies on, on uh, you know, federalism and how they influences you know, road construction or these sort. No, no, no. They're battling over, yeah, sure, spending money, but on worldview issues. Abortion, transgender, climate, these things that we have a frame of reference to engage from the Bible. And others have their own worldview coming from a humanistic, immaterial, impersonal, excuse me, material, impersonal worldview that everything is by chance, think evolutionary theory, Darwinianism, this kind of thing. Schaefer concludes for our conversation, it is not that these two worldviews are different only in how they understand the nature of reality and existence. They also inevitably produce totally different results, and that we are seeing right now in real time. Are we not? Indeed, we are. We can attest to what Schaefer was saying. This, dear saint, is one of the best explanations of the great divide we are experiencing in our Western world, not just America, but in the Western world today. This is why the woke see Christians as heretics and prefer the progressive wolves in sheep's clothing of once Christian denominations that are so popular and prevalent today. This is why Christians cannot entertain woke precepts. We're dealing with oil and water. Let's take a break, and when we get back, we'll make this point clear by looking at the nine spiritual effects wokeness has on Christianity. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. As I said before the break, we're going to take a look at the spiritual effects that wokeness, wokeism, the woke have on Christianity and on Christians, on you. There are nine spiritual effects that Owen Strachan breaks down in his great book, highly recommended, Christianity and Wokeness. If you're looking for a primer to understand what it is we're dealing with when we talk about the woke, this, my friends, is a great resource, and I'm going to give you a little intro to it, a taste of it, with these nine spiritual effects. He does a great job of helping us understand our spiritual enemy. So number one, number one, wokeness divides us from others. It causes us to see other people in unbiblical terms, to see them as either oppressor or oppressed. Now, a Christian tempted by woke's Marxist maxims is truly a man divided within himself, is he not? Strachan does a great job of pointing that out. Wokeness does divide us. Now, why would the Christian be divided within himself if he was trying to balance wokeism and Christianity? Because, because Christians do not see people as oppressors or oppressed. This is not how we view our neighbor. Not at all. Not how we're supposed to. Wokeism is a threat to Christians because it teaches them, us, to think contrary to Galatians 3. Your Bibles are still open. 
flip now to Galatians 3. We're going to go to verse 26 and read 27 and 28 as well. So in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Christian sees his brothers in the church as the same. As Christians, we we learn to stop seeing people by their race, as Jew or Greek, or by their gender, male or female, or by their status as employer or employee, might be the, the correlation to slave or free. But even in other parts of the world, still there is, there is slavery, so slave and free. We don't make these sort of identifiable distinctions. Our identity is wholly caught up in Christ Jesus, all of us, no matter our gender or our race or anything else. Now, this is definitely, as you hear in the text, specifically talking about how we see each other. But in Ephesians 5, 8, Ephesians 5, 8, we also are reminded, Paul does a great job of reminding us, after going through a list of sins and idolatry, darkness, all the, the evils of the world, and, and warning Christians not to walk in that darkness, St. Paul does a great job of reminding us that that's who we once were. For at one time you were darkness, he says, but now you are light in the Lord. This is not a reminder that teaches us to oppose the, the unchristian in a way that looks down upon him and degrades him or wants to rise up over against him as our oppressor, as we are the oppressed or something like this. It's not that kind of dualistic worldview and, and, and view of our neighbors. No, it is one that has sympathy involved in it. It is one that looks at the lost as those to be saved. Seeing people in the Marxist oppressor-oppressed paradigm rather than through the forgiveness of Christ's cross leads to all kinds of temptations to sin. The Black Lives Matter riots of 2020 are the perfect example of this. Which commandments weren't broken? during those riots, right? Number two, wokeness causes us to despise others. We not only see certain people in the category of oppressor, but we hate them for it. The woke worldview teaches us to see our neighbors as our enemies. So what does does Christianity teach? We talked about it before. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So right away, before we even finish this verse, Christians are taught not to see people, flesh and blood, as our opponents, our enemies, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Christian, who is your enemy? Who is your opponent? The devil and his demons. Those who are ruling in the spiritual battle. People are the prize. Even our most vile enemy, the person who persecutes us with vigor, they are our prize. We aim to rescue. They are prisoners of war suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. They are not our enemy. That's what Christianity teaches. For Christians, all people, all people, no matter their gender, their race, their ideology, all people are the prize, not the enemy. There isn't hatred for our neighbor, only love and concern. Now, do Christians fail at this? Yes. Our old Adam gets the best of us and we sin, And we fail at this all the time. But do we throw it out with the bathwater? No, this is the doctrine of Christianity. This is how we are supposed to behave. This is what we are to strive to do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do this. We continue to pray to the Lord 
for strength to forgive our neighbors. Just as we confess our own sins when we fail, asking the Lord to forgive us of our evil, how we treated other people, all kinds of our sins that affect our neighbor. That's one of the many blessings of starting the divine service with confession and absolution. That's the very first thing we do when we come into church together to worship. We have that you know, an opening processional hymn, and then as soon as we're getting started, it's confession and absolution. We Each Sunday, we kneel before the Lord as guilty sinners, and we ask him to forgive us our sin. And guess what this does? This breeds humility within our hearts. It teaches us to see ourselves as recipients of mercy, incubating a merciful, gracious heart for others. It doesn't teach us to hate them. It teaches us to forgive them, even those who are actively oppressing us, persecuting us. A perfect example of this is Reverend Richard Wormbrand, I don't know if you're familiar with him, the Voice of the Martyrs. He, that's the organization he founded and started, and they recently produced a, a great uh, movie about his actions under persecution. He was in a communist prison in Romania for 14 years. His wife, Sabina, as well. So there's some great material out there you can watch. But his book, Tortured for Christ, is well known to many, a, a bestseller. Millions of copies sold. Great, great thing to read. I highly recommend that book as well. And in it, he writes this wonderful account of the Christian behavior toward persecutors, toward enemies. He says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this would receive a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. <laughs> Man. See, Christians don't see people as oppressors, but as neighbors to be loved. Neighbors. What is the result? Not the division that we have in our society today, but happiness. Even among those who are actively hurting us. The third point that Owen Strachan points out is that wokeness leads us, Christians, to condemn others in pride. He says we bring the charge of guilty to people who are not necessarily guilty of what we allege. We are quick to speak, quick to weigh in, quick to give a definitive answer, quick to silence others, quick to anger, quick to dismiss, quick to stereotype, and slow to listen. We proudly assume that we have nothing to hear from others whom we disagree with, and we lecture older and wiser Christians in the faith, wrongly assuming the role of teacher over them. Mm, now there's some insight here. This wreaks major havoc on families, doesn't it? And the more homosexual and, and transgender social contagion spreads, the more teenagers we have who are condemning their parents, assuming to know better than their parents and better than the extreme, overwhelming majority of adults throughout time. This is how public schools in our day can encourage and help students trans transition from one gender to another if such a thing were actually possible, apart from parental consent. Parents don't matter. In wokeism, there isn't any listening to the wisdom of ages past or even one generation before. No. Wokeism arrived on the scene five minutes ago and everybody best listened to it because it's new and progressive and liberated from the old-fashioned thinking of yesterday that oppresses people. See? See how it's working? And so we get coming out closets, transitioning closets, something like Superman's phone booth down in, in Oakland. I read an article about this, where you can go to school in your 
appropriate clothing for your gender that your parents see you in when you leave. Bye, mom, as a little girl. And then you get to school. You can go into this changing room and for the rest of your day, be a little boy. Go back in, change, go home. And mom and dad don't know that you are transitioning genders. This is sick. And it comes from a condemnation, a proud condemnation of those who are older than us, those who are supposed to be teaching us and guiding us in truth. It is arrogance par excellence. But Christians don't think this way, do we? What do we read in Deuteronomy 6? This is where we get the great Shema, O Israel. Starting at verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, knowledge is passed down, not up. Kind of makes sense, right? It goes from God to man to his children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. And so we read passages in the New Testament, like 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So even when we see someone older than us in sin, there is respect and humility and encouragement. 1 Peter 5.5 is also helpful. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Wokeism is trying to subvert this, and they are getting away with it. Their doctrine is usurping proper authority given to parents, proper authority given to those who've lived longer and know more, who are handing down the wisdom of God. And we're speaking specifically for Christians today, but this does have implications for all society. But in the Christian church, Look at the, the, the damage that's being done as we too have Christian children who are learning from this, who are susceptible to this contagion, to this arrogance. And, and it goes all the way back. This is, why, this is why Schaefer could talk about this 40 years ago before any of this came to a head in what we're dealing with today. He could talk about how for the last 80 years, Christians have been dealing with this bit by bit, part by part with permissiveness and pornography and the public schools and the breakdown of the family. It's still the same battle. We've been, we've been accepting the idea that children just go through a stage of rebellion in their teenage years as if it's matter of fact. It is not matter of fact. Dear Christian, stop parroting that. Stop echoing that. That's the world's view, not the Christian view. Children do not have to grow up and go through an age of rebellion. Will they be sinners? Yes. Do they have to have a whole season of rejecting authority? No. Not if they are taught God's word and it is made the core of their being because it is the core of the family. This is what we need to recapture as we engage this enemy. The enemy is teaching us something. The devil has revealed himself and now we Christians can react properly. 
strengthening our families, being more, be more involved in our children's lives, and model respect and humility, no matter what our age is, toward those who are older than us. Prize and value those who've lived longer, those who have lessons to teach us, our grandparents, and those before. Okay, let's take a break right there. When we come back, we'll look at point four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and we'll have a good time doing it. You're listening to Cross Defense. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Point number four, wokeness robs us of joyful peace. We are not at rest in our world today. We are at war with brothers and sisters wrongly. We churn with uncontrolled passion. Think of the recent timetable of our division in our society. The polarization of left and right is directly connected to the rise of woke ideology in our society. It's been coming for years, as Schaefer pointed out. But look at how it has been sped up in recent days. We are being spurred on toward war with our neighbors, and not just in metaphorical terms, I fear. We're literally hearing talk now about an actual civil war. People are at each other's throats. A fire is being stoked by the woke, and people of all stripes are being caught up in it on both sides. Compare what you're seeing in the news and on your streets with what we hear in chapter 2 of the book of Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants, and maybe we should think about this in terms of employees today. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You tell me, dear listener, which one breeds joyful peace in society, Christianity or wokeness? Point number five. Wokeness directs us away from the gospel. We don't see people in light of the gospel. We don't seek to share the gospel, the biblical 
gospel, the true gospel. Instead, we pursue the mission of social justice, which is not justice at all. This brings Galatians 1 to mind, doesn't it? What does Paul say, starting at verse 6? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you already, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. How many Christians are being swept away in wokeism's false gospel, social justice? My friend, it is for these days that the Lord preserved 2 Timothy chapter 3 for us. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however have followed my teaching, Paul says, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our hope is in Christ and His gospel, literally. His good news has been handed down to us from our elders. This handing down goes all the way back to the apostles and Christ Jesus himself. His Holy Spirit sustains us in the true gospel of Christ Jesus through his word and sacraments. Thanks be to God. Point six, wokeness makes us bitter. As we pursue this unbiblical program, we sever relationships, change churches out of a divisive, not righteous spirit, spread slander, and generally live a judgmental and embittered life. Let me tell you, friend, this is true. I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, but St. Mark here at church, we are a bold community of biblical Christians who are unashamed of the gospel, and because we are resting in Christ and resisting the woke culture around us, we get far more 
than judgmental and embittered phone messages like the one you heard today, although we get plenty of those. Friendships have literally been cut off, completely severed. Memberships dropped. One newspaper article after another, after another, after another has smeared us because we haven't caved to the woke cancel culture all around us. But instead, we continue our resting resistance in Christ Jesus. We have been attacked by other Christians, at least those who profess to be. On the flip side, I should also say that Christianity is sweet water that many are thirsty for, and we have found this to be equally true. The Lord continues to draw his faithful people to our faithful font. And they come with joy and excitement, not judgmental and not bitter hearts. It's amazing. Okay, so it is true. Point number seven, wokeness makes moving on from wrongs very hard. We do not live in the freedom given us through repentance and forgiveness. Instead, we deny the power of repentance and forgiveness, thinking it less important than a reparational scheme. Ah, what this point expresses is that in Christianity, we come to the altar of the Lord where we kneel before the one true God, confess our sins to him, and receive from him absolution. But that doesn't work for wokeism. Woke social justice warriors don't want repentant hearts, but reprimanded ones that never taste forgiveness, but instead are forced to pay reparations for the sins of their fathers. Do you see the difference between Christianity's freeing gospel and wokeism's enslaving law? Where God says, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The, righteous of the, right, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself, Ezekiel 18.20. The false woke God says, all the sons should suffer for all the iniquities of all their fathers all the time. God says in Deuteronomy 5, that he will not share his godliness with any false god, that we should not bow down or serve them because it will bring God's wrath on our wayward family for three or four generations as they will undoubtedly pick up our idolatrous behaviors that we're modeling to them. And then, then God reassures us that he is the most gracious forgiver, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love him. Now, in contrast, the false woke God says all white people have to kneel before black people for the sins of some of our fathers many generations ago. That all people of European descent need to perpetually apologize with not only words, but deeds to the nations of people we now call Native American or Mexican, giving over property and disfiguring our reputations to merit a semblance of salvation through a plan of works righteousness only topped by the Antichrist. And we can think of a thousand other examples of this. You see the difference? These are just some, some real life examples. Christians don't teach that. This is an unforgiving thought process. This is an unforgiving worldview. There is little to no forgiveness for the woke. Why? Because forgiveness de-victimizes the wronged the oppressed, and it dispels oppression. Victimization is the fuel, the, the cornerstone for wokeism's Marxist revolt of the oppressed against the oppressors. There is no wokeism without that tension. It is what's central to Marxism. Point eight, wokeness veils God's providence. This is to say, that we forget to understand the truth we confess in the creed. That is, God is holding all things together and that he has worked everything out for our good. We, we stop focusing on Christ crucified, what God's already done, the gospel, and we start focusing on what we think we must do, the law. We push God into the corner 
and take center stage for ourselves, convincing ourselves that we're in control rather than faithfully carrying out our vocations in service to our neighbor in recognition that God works through the means of his creatures. And this, my friends, spills into the ninth point that Mr. Strachan gives us in Christianity and wokeness. Wokeness makes man big and God small. Man's concerns end up dominating our lives. God's cause and God's wisdom and God's infinite kindness to sinners like us and God's solutions to our problems become small things. That is to say, we replace the eternal with the temporal, don't we, if we go the woke route. We forget the whole point of Ecclesiastes, and we focus all of our attention on what is here and now, forgetting that the perishable will one day put on the imperishable. We become fixated on the earthly and neglect eternity. Last week, we talked about the parable of the rich man. The lesson applies to today's topic, too. Take a look with me. Open your Bibles back up. You may have closed them by now, but go to Luke 12, 16 to 20. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Dear saint, we are running quickly out of time, but I hope this past hour will help you in your defense of the cross of Christ and that it has been a defense in and of itself for you according to the cross of our Lord and Savior. I pray that you see, as Francis Schaeffer put it, there is no way to mix these two total worldviews. They're separate entities that cannot be synthesized, which is a bummer for wokists, because as you know, <laughs> as Jesus said from his cross, it is finished. The war is over. And who won? Christ Jesus did. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Until next week, may you live always in the wisdom of the cross. Sapientiam crucis. Thanks for listening. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.